in a world where Logan is resurrecting. We live. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this afternoon or this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news, where we get to go over the uh, Marvel movie news that, or the uh, MCU news <laughs> that we did not cover on last week's podcast, as I was uh, forgetful and uh, dropped the ball on us covering a couple of major topics. So, let's start off this podcast with the uh, with the big reactions to, uh, you know, to the announcement that broke the internet. Chad, your thoughts on Hugh Jackman and his ball sack chin coming back to the MCU. When did he when did he have a ball sack chin? Those of you that must be a line of those of you who have seen movie forty three in all of its glory will know exactly oh. what I'm talking about. Oh, so it was like you and that one other dude. Okay, I got you. I don't feel so bad now. So yeah, the man had a um, ball sack for his for a chin, and scrotum hair fell in his soup, and he ate it, and he teabagged a little toddler. It was very, very emotionally traumatizing for people, apparently. And this is why nobody saw the goddamn movie. Most people don't even know it exists. Unfortunately, I know that much, but uh, I, I I don't regret not seeing that movie. <laughs> um, but so yeah, uh, Hugh Jackman is back. Um, so I'm excited because I know it's something that, uh, a lot of people wanted to do one that, that wanted to see. I know it was something that Ryan Reynolds wanted, um, and having grumpy Wolverine with, in a movie with Deadpool has all sorts of potential to be fun. Um, I guess I don't really have any downside to it, uh, because it, from everything, every indication is that this is a one-off. Um, he was not coming back to the role in any extensive measures. Eventually, Marvel will recast Wolverine whenever they get around to doing the X-Men. So there's there's really not a downside. So it was a um, it was a big and welcome surprise, I would say. Um. So for me. There was a, this was not a surprise. Um, for me, this isn't a surprise, basically because about two months before uh, before this announcement, Hugh Jackman posted a picture to his Twitter account, and I didn't even know the man had a Twitter account. But he, but I, I, you know, enough of the people that we follow liked that photo, and so it popped up in my timeline. And the photo was a very generic photo to most people. It was literally a photo of Hugh Jackman with a surprised look on his face, looking down at his cell phone, saying, gee, I wonder what this could mean. And of course, this is right around the Comic-Con time, and so people are speculating wildly and making all kinds of guesses. And then uh, and then a couple of months, about about a month later, he does the same thing, again, with a... Uh, another weird look at the phone. And so based off of what has now occurred, I think that um, it's fairly clear that he was letting people know that him and Ryan had talked and that an offer had been extended and that this was the thing. 
Ryan has been very open about the Fox version of Deadpool 3 and what that was going to look like. And he's been very open about the fact that he wanted that to be a road trip movie um, between him and Wolverine uh, with Jackman back in the role. We know Jackman has cameoed in, in some of Ryan Reynolds' stuff. Um, and we know that, you know, obviously they have history being having worked on X-Men Origins Wolverine in the past. Um, like, for me, it wasn't a huge surprise because I thought that was what Jackman was referring to in the tweet. Um, the randomness of it being like a Tuesday afternoon and him breaking the internet, that surprised me. The fact that this wasn't like a D23 or a Comic-Con announcement, that it was just like a random video and then a follow-up random video to calm the internet down, um, you know, kind of surprised me. But like the actual content of the announcement itself did not surprise me. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad that this is happening. I just... And no, I don't have the 5,500 questions about the up-and-so-and-ass Logan and how this is impacted. Um, I just think that we're going to get a fun R-rated road trip movie with Wolverine and Deadpool and Deadpool constantly killing uh, Wolverine, constantly throwing his claws into Deadpool and it being a whole lot of fun. Yeah, fun is what I'm here for with this uh Actually, with anything with Deadpool, fun is what I'm here for. I don't need anything overly serious, even uh, anything like overly connected to Marvel, the Marvel MCU proper. Uh, this is just all about, you know, one one last ride. It'll probably be uh, Ryan's last turn as Deadpool. I mean, he might show up here or there, but I, this is probably his last movie. And if Hugh wants to do it, why not? Let's do it. I mean, uh, my thing is, like, I don't think it's the last time we'll see him because he enjoys playing this part. It's super popular for him. And he has the most political capital of anyone in Hollywood at this moment right now, really. You want to think about it. I mean, the man wants to go make a movie with, uh, wants to go make The Adam Project at Netflix. He makes The Adam Project at Netflix. He wants to go do Red Notice at Netflix. He does Red Notice. He wants to do uh, take Sean Levy and do Deadpool 3 because they worked so well together on uh, Free Guy. They do that. Like, dude hasn't had a misfire in, like, five years. Like, that dude's going to have the political capital and the fan base, especially with his inversion of Deadpool. Um, the interesting thing that this opens up to me is we are entering into the multiverse saga. Or the, yeah, the multiverse saga. And so within the last calendar year, we've had uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. We've had Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. We've had Patrick Stewart's bald head in a yellow rolling chair. We And now, most likely, we are going to have a yellow spandex Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine as Logan. All of those things are not going to be, exist, and they're all going to be MCU canon. And we're going to have a big major crossover event uh, called uh, Kang, uh, Ken, the Kang Dynasty, and that's going to be followed up by a giant, huge secret war. So, like, there's plenty of opportunity for all of these people. I know I saw some, I don't want to say dumb or stupid, but like this ignorant tweet the other day, just like, the cast of Avengers Kang Dynasty 
and literally it just listed off every person who's in a Marvel movie. <laughs> it's like, that's not the way that works. Like, I love Scara. Like, I love the fact that we could potentially get a second season of, of Moon Knight, but I don't think that she's going to appear in, 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 in any formal capacity in, in Kang Dynasty or, or Secret Wars. I mean, she's just not at that level. Just because you're in a, a Marvel property and you can show up in those things doesn't mean you will show up in those things. Um, right. You know, so it'll be interesting. It, it, it's what do you make of the possibility of all of these, you know, all of these excommunicated Marvel films now being made canon and. <laughs> And now, and now, having the possibility of these these char- these people playing these characters in the MCU showing up in an Avengers movie. So, it the so in the strictest terms, you're right. It would be it would be considered canon uh, because they would appear in an MCU film, and they're technically that means their timeline, uh, everything that existed before, is canon because they've appeared in an MCU film. My approach to that kind of canon is that it's it's not. It's not MCU canon. It's like the character appearing is MCU canon, but we don't ha- I don't really have to like uh rack my brain to make this all align within the grand scheme of things. Uh the reason this character the reason the characters are appearing is because unlike in comics when they do this kind of thing and they can just draw as many of the same version of a character as they want, we're dealing with real people and you can and having people that have been in the role before, if not in the proper MCU, is a thing that fans are aware of and will appreciate. But it doesn't have to go any further than that. Like, I don't think, okay, outside of Deadpool, I don't think their past will be referenced in any point if they show up in any, any of these other movies. Uh, Deadpool is going to do it because they're going to make fun of it. But if they show up in like Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars, we're going to have too much other stuff to worry about than their continuity. And really, we're dealing with Fox. Their continuity is, is, jacked up to be damned anyway. So I don't, I just don't put too much brain power into lining up their previous timelines with being in the MCU proper. The characters here, he had an existence before. That's kind of all I need to know as far as all this stuff goes. I'm just like, I guess the point that I was more trying to make is like the insanity of, you know, Ten years ago, we do an Avengers movie, and it's like, is this thing going to work? And it's got the original six, and we're just doing a very basic story about S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra, uh, Shield and Loki. And, and it's just a very basic, simple thing. And here we are a decade later, and we're talking about the possibility of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, and... Uh, and Patrick Stewart's uh, and Patrick Stewart's Professor Xavier showing up in a in an Avengers movie and having it that be a completely plausible possible thing and the craziness of where we've gotten in ten years where 
we're going to get freaking Modoc here in six months. Like, Modoc is going to be in, K- in, uh, in Quantum Mania. Like, mm-hmm. do you realize how insane that is from where we were 10 years ago, much less oh, yeah. 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, especially because I, I was one that uh, I remember going to that first Avengers being nervous, like thinking that this wouldn't work. And now we're to the point where um, all of the comic booky stuff that I never thought would be able to work in mainstream is here. It's working. Uh, that's I think that's a testament to the the work that Marvel has put in uh, in developing their things. And they were very safe at first. Uh, I thought Thor was a bridge too far. They went to that bridge, and then I was like, I don't know how you make it all work, and they made it all work with Avengers, and then they were just like, if we just give, we just treat the source material right and give fans something enjoyable, they are willing to go with us anywhere we want to go, and that's how we end up here. That's how we got here. They they did all those, they put in all that work, they figured out how to treat the fans, and now because of that, they can do anything. I don't think they should do half of the things they're doing, but they can do it because people are now, even if they don't understand the concepts, they trust, they've trusted Marvel so far and Marvel gives them enough for them to understand the basics and then just go along on the ride and you'll pick up everything else as you go. Uh, and that's why we're where we're at now is because of all of those things put together. So it's a lot of you know credit to Marvel for getting us here. Indeed, and it's it's going to be an incredible thing, uh, you know, it, you know, whatever the the universe looks like by the time we get to Kang Dynasty, like it's just going to be an incredible thing that we're in this moment and we're there, you know, that we that we're doing things like Modok, and you're right, all all honor and praise to the high and holy Feige, who you know uh, continues to avoid question time with us, but. Um, you know, who they laid the groundwork and they they did they did the things to put the people into place, um, but it, it's just it's just going to be interesting to me to see how they utilize legacy characters going forward. Um, I know we had the entire conversation last week about Downey and Downey as AI showing up and, and all that, but like I think we're it's just going to be interesting for me to see how they handle you know these legacy characters who now clearly could show up in a Secret Wars movie, and whether or not they will. But a Secret Wars movie that needs a director at some point, because we, uh-huh. we now we, we have a director for, for Kang Dynasty. We don't have one for... Uh, we don't have one for, um, for... for Secret Wars. But what we do have for Secret Wars is a writer. And a writer that lit the internet on fire. Um... Chad, your your reaction to Michael Weldon being uh, he who wrote the entirety of Loki season one and did a page basic paid one rewrite on the Raimi version of Multiverse of Madness, being the guy who's going to write Secret Wars. I don't have an issue with it. Um, Look, I know people have issues with. Uh, I'm guessing with Multiverse of Madness the most, but most people like Loki. Uh, so 
it, whatever issues you had with with Multiverse of Madness, let me remind you of this. The same guys that wrote the first Captain America. They wrote Captain America Winter Soldier. They wrote Captain America Civil War. They wrote Infinity War and Endgame were the same guys that wrote Thor the Dark World. Everybody got one. So if you didn't like Multiverse of Madness, that's fine. But don't throw a big tizzy over this guy because he did good work on Loki. I didn't like I didn't mind Multiverse of Madness. I don't I'm personally upset. But if you are, just think of it if that's the case, just think of it as his Thor the Dark World period. And maybe he's gonna turn around and give you uh Winter Soldier. Infinity War, Endgame, Civil War. Because those are the ones that came out after Thor The Dark World. You can't... Everybody's not going to like bat a thousand all the time. Well, and this is where we get into a conversation again about, yet again, about Multiverse of Madness. My thing... um, I've said this a lot about... I've said this a lot about Last Jedi. I think that if Last Jedi had had Luke Skywalker at the end with his green lightsaber, doing everything that he does at the end, facing down the entire First Order with his laser sword by himself, and mowing shit down, and doing all the badass stuff that you think Luke Skywalker should do, and then he dies, gets killed by by Kylo or whatever, and Rey has to watch it the same way that he had to watch Obi-Wan be mowed down the first movie um that a lot of the anger hatred and vitriol about last jedi goes away and that it's a less divisive movie if if you just give the people the luke skywalker that they they've been reading about for 50, 20 years in the expanded universe and that they had had in their head because if you stop and you think about it realistically you never got the ultimate versions to use a comic book uh term you never got the ultimate versions of Han Solo, uh, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia. You just got kind of the cameo versions of those characters. And so I think a lot of the folks who were excited the day that Disney announced the sale because they were like, we're going to have episodes 7, 8, and 9, and in the original trio, we're going to be back. Well, the original trio came back, and what did you get? You got cameos, basically, extended cameos. So if I've maintained for a long time, that a lot of the anger, vitriol, and hatred around Last Jedi would have surf- would have receded to the background had people been given the, the Luke Skywalker that they got at the end of Mandalorian season two. Like, you know, that if they'd have gotten that, they would have been happy, and the film wouldn't have been as divisive. Uh, and maybe we'd have gotten Ryan's Star Wars movies instead of Ryan's Knives Out movies. But um, I think the same thing with uh, multiverse of madness. Your title is the multiverse of madness. You do a three minute shot of them falling of America Chavez and Stephen Strange falling through multiple multiverse multiple universes, and then landing in what is essentially the most basic and boring universe of them all, <laughs> because it's red means go and green means stop and. It looks very futuristic, and there's some plants on the side of a building. And, like, yeah, you get the Illuminati, but, like, 
at the end of the day, like it's a movie called The Multiverse of Madness, and we have one multiverse that's very boring, and the mechanics of how the multiverse is used as a concept in um in in the Doctor Strange movie is not as well executed. I don't to most people as the way it's introduced in Loki, which is the same writer. Um, I just think that if if Strange had been universe hopping and they had gone to multiple universes and had a more expansive story, people would have been more happy. My argument is that Michael Weldon made a movie or wrote a movie. Uh, first of all, page one rewrite that he was not intended on doing. Like he had been working on Loki. They liked his work on Loki. They uh, were going to move on from whatever the version Scott Derrickson had. They were going to move on from that. And they wanted him to do a, re a rewrite the way that they wanted uh, Marcus and McFeely to do a, a pass on Thor the Dark World to try and help it when it was in the trouble. Like, it's the thing. Um, I sincerely believe that he made a movie where the multiverse and just the possibility of the multiverse drove its, its antagonist mad. That's the whole thing. Wanda is driven bad at the end of WandaVision by hearing the voices of her children and doing the digging into the dark hole to understand that there was a possibility that she could have the thing that was taken from her or that she was forced to surrender in in uh in the New Jersey town. Like and she's driven mad by that grief of that that veil of uh of that's between the living and the dead, that that idea of having just enough hope that maybe and that just that hope of just enough maybe can drive a man it's drive a person insane. And that's what the movie is about. And how you recognize you know, how you go through those stages of grief and how you overcome them and how you realize the harm that you've done and, and make recompense. That's what the movie is about. But the movie doesn't hop to 15 different multiverses and so fanboys are busy. Yeah, I can I can see that being part of the problem. I also think um, along those kind of same lines, I think a big part of the problem is that, uh, and I had a little bit of this too, is that watching the end of WandaVision, um, people came out of it thinking that Wanda was, you know, on the straight and narrow. She was going to continue to be a hero. Like they didn't see the end of Wanda Vision as the beginning of her heel turn. They just saw her. They saw her make a mistake. They saw her make a mistake in grief, and they and they thought that she, in recognizing that mistake, she was going to uh, overcome it and still be like one of these beacon heroes instead of seeing her make the mistake, recognize it being in her grief and then adding more grief or a possibility to relieve the grief by hearing those kids again. So I, I think if you came out of WandaVision thinking that um, she would steadily be heroic instead of, and, and the turn of multiverse of madness came out of nowhere for you, then I could see you having similar reactions. I get that. I just think that it's the guy laid the two major foundational pieces for how the multiverse concept is going to work. I mean, the multiverse concept is started in Loki with, as we've talked about, 
you know that that season finale, and and then it's expanded expanded in No Way Home, and then it's expanded more in um in Multiverse of Madness. So if the guy who's written two out of those three, and you're doing a movie that is the conclusion of the multiverse saga, why would you not hire that dude <laughs> who laid the foundational pieces for you? Like it makes all the sense in the world for him to do that. Like make the foundational pieces. So, you know, it, it didn't surprise me at all. My, my, my thing is the dude also, uh, wrote the last episode of Loki in which Kang appears for the first time as he who remains and gives this excellent, you know, very basic, very simple, easy to follow path forward of how this is all going to play out. Like you are going to murder me. Um, the timelines are going to branch off. They won't be able to be stopped. And uh, the other more evil, more deadly versions of me are going to come. And we're going to do this. It, the only way this ends is the same way it ended the last time, which was, you know, um, the the way this ended last time, which is a lot of battle and one person winning and uh, unifying the timelines again. <laughs> and so, like... He wrote that excellent exposition about the multiverse and what is coming. So why isn't he going to be the one to get the get the the grand tournament of champions a, re, a write at? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess Nerf needs to chill out. That's that's kind of my biggest takeaway from all of this. Um, like you made all these good points about, you know, he he's. He's already started setting up the multiverse. It makes sense for him to continue on. Just, you know, wait till you see the movie before you try to string him up. Ah, but where's the fun in that, Chad? So let's move on to something (laughs) that is going to be fun. Um, Tickets are now on sale for Wakanda Forever. Um, We are nearing the beginning of that uh, publicity process. Um, it's going to be a fun month of October. Uh, we we started next week, this week with uh, with Halloween ends, and uh, it will go, um, you know, it will continue on with Black Adam and a possible, you know, a cameo from He Who Remains Nameless, and <laughs> and then it goes to uh, uh, let's see, it's uh, Black Adam, it's uh, Halloween uh-huh. ends, Black Adam, and then. We get in November. I think it's the yeah, it's like two or three weeks. Yeah, we get uh, we get the one, the only Black Panther, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Your thoughts, sir, on the final trailer, which announced in all of its glory, tickets being on sale, tickets going well, selling at a good pace, and uh, your thoughts on on the last footage we saw to kind of urge people to go out there. Um. So I, the tra- I like the trailer. Uh, I think it's a very good trailer. Uh, I think it it shows a good you know watching the trailers. I always enjoy watching these trailers because uh, it kind of gives you a, a taste of what Ryan Coogler is going to give you visually. And I think I think the two movies he's done so far we haven't granted we haven't seen the second one. Uh, they always look you know. You can tell it's Marvel, but they always look different. 
because of the the way it's shot, the way he does uh, he does his shots, and this trailer gives you a taste of all that. Uh, we also get more Namor, but not not so much. He doesn't really say anything, but you kind of establish with uh you know with Mbaku talking who Namor is and what the conflict is. Uh, well, what what one of the dilemmas is with dealing with Namor because they don't they still don't say what the conflict is. Um, but in his speech, it's, it's telling you that apparently he's got a beef, and if we do, and if we, you know, if we handle these things the way we normal handle these things, it's going to be a problem for a long time. So it, it's like how is setting up Namor without really telling you what's going on in the story. It tell this trailer told a lot without saying a whole bunch, which I think is good because I think they want to save as much for the movie as possible. And they found a way to do that, but it gave you enough new things to keep, to keep enticing you. You got the stuff with Mbaku. Uh, uh, we got an introduction to Riri, Riri Williams. We saw all of our main characters. Uh, we saw more of Namor and then, you know, it ends with the shot of the new Black Panther. Again, not showing us who the new Black Panther is, but if you're paying attention to any of the marketing at all, then you know the new Black Panther is Shuri. I, do I know that 100%? No. If it's not Shuri, will I be surprised? Yes. Why? Because they put out posters with the freaking Black Panther center stage, and who is right over the mask of the Black Panther is Shuri. They're telling you it's Shuri. So... I don't know. The trailer, I think the trailer did what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to get you excited. It's supposed to let people know that this is coming and get you excited. Because I know lots of people that did not know this movie is coming out this year. And they saw this trailer and like, oh, so that's oh, that's like next month. It did what it's supposed to do. It's letting people know. It's giving you enough information, but holding enough to the vest. I thought this was a, I thought the the last trailer was more emotional. Uh, it's, I think it's supposed to be more emotional. It was more emotional for me personally. I know it's more emotional for a lot of other people, but I think both of these trailers are like a masterclass in the art of making a trailer for a movie without giving the movie away. So my thoughts on the trailer are the exquisite, the exquisite beauty of the inherent African culture that he portrays on screen. Um, I love the fact that we've gone from making them Atlanteans to making them basically Aztecs um, mm-hmm. and going in that direction more because both are lost civilizations, quote unquote. Um, but like, I like the design of Neymar. I like what they're setting up. I like the music choices in both of these trailers are just the way that music is, is used in both of these trailers is astounding. They're, as you said, a masterclass in marketing. Um, I'm, I'm of a different opinion than you, mainly because because we know what happened on that set, and we know that Letty Wright got injured, but we also know Letty Wright was pitching a hissy fit, and there were thoughts that she might not come back last at Christmas last year, like they they were they they there were rumors and whispers that she was that. Uh, you know, Shuri was just going to have somehow magically die on the plane ride back from from the United States or something like 
they there was very serious chatter about them writing her out in, in, in these kind of things. And you heard these whispers. And it's really hard. Stuff like that doesn't come out of nowhere. And it's really hard for me to be to see them going from that place to here's the entire keys to the future of Wakanda. Um, it, it's just hard for me to square what they were going through with her on set to giving her the keys and doing everything. And I, and you're right. I get you're right. The, the dots around the face, the positioning on the posters, the fact that she's leading and she's at the forefront of all the, all the publicity and marketing. She's the one on the, on the press tour doing the most talking. Um, Man, like, it's really hard for me to square them. Square them going from we are going to write you out to here's the keys to everything. See, and this is where um, this is where I think we have to take into consideration the time frame for all of this. Because, I mean, so Chadwick died in August or September of 2020. The movie was supposed to start shooting um I believe the movie's supposed to start shooting within like six months of his death, one way or another. It was because it was supposed to come out um, before the pandemic. I believe it was supposed to come out in twenty. It was either twenty twenty one or twenty. It might have been. It, it might the year might have stayed the same, but the dates might have changed. But it might have been twenty twenty one, so a year earlier. But uh, then they so they they shift everything. But they're still not moving Black Panther off the shifted pandemic date. So the story that Ryan had already come up with is gone. It's got to be gone because there's no T'Challa. So now he's got to come up. Now he's in a place of deep grieving and, and mourning because, you know, it's come out here lately. Like in the aftermath of Chadwick's death, he thought about walking away from everything. Um, I, I think that was a, you know, He's going, he's grieving. That's an emotional process. And he, he went through that. But in that moment, he was trying to go, he, he thought about walking away from it. So he's going from walking away from everything to coming back, uh, probably taking the, the best ideas from his old script and composing a new script that's going to also deal with the absence of T'Challa, which means you have a new Black Panther. Um, Again, we don't know the story, but all logical things point to Shuri being the next person. And that's all well and good at that moment. It's not until they begin shooting that all the everything that you're saying pointing to like really takes place. So to to if they go into shooting, will the teacher write as the face, the new face of Black Panther? And it's not until shooting really starts or like they're really close to starting shooting. But I think it's really once they get to set that your your issues really come up. It's kind of too. I mean, yes, there have been movies that have changed things on the fly and all that stuff. But we're talking. We're talking about this is like trying to move glaciers when you're talking about a movie of this size. So you'd have to rewrite the whole movie while you're shooting the movie. And then she gets hurt or she gets hurt in the middle of that. And I think if she if it was a case that they could not get her to come back, then, yeah, of course, you have to redo what you have to redo. But I don't think the movie comes out this year. So 
I, I'm basically saying I think I think the the ship had already sailed by the time all the uh, like they'd already the ship had already sailed and they'd already put the and their eggs in the basket of the Tisharite and those eggs were on the ship sailing off while somebody's yelling at port that no we got some more eggs that you need to put over in there or something like that it was too late it was it was too late to to again it's glacier movement movements you can't stop it once it's going out all that way you just kind of got to ride it out i think all in all if you ask the people in charge will they've made Shuri the face in hindsight they probably say no but it is what it is. This is where they're at now. Um, they can always take the mantle off of her. But for this movie, I think Black Panther is going to be Shuri. And what happens after that, well, we'll see. I mean, I just, I guess I keep coming back to Force Awakens and Harrison Ford breaking his leg. And then having to take a, a step back. And, and J.J. being very honest about him and Kasdan. Uh, doing a lot of work in that time to try and look at what they'd already got and figure out where they wanted to go and changing some things from there. It's very rare that you get complete stoppages for weeks at a time on a shoot. And and that's what they got with Letty Wright's injury. So, now granted, the, the injury occurred right before the holidays, so there was a built-in break there anyway. But I guess my thought is, like, if you're having all these issues and then you get this break, you have a chance to course correct, if you so choose. And maybe it's not a full course correction, but if you hadn't shot the third act stuff, like you have that opportunity. So, you know, that to me is why there's going to continue to be lingering down. You're right. Makes all the sense in the world. My quarrel with it would be, okay, so the queen just lost her son, her son and her, and her husband to this same little thing. This, this same mantle. Um, she's just going to go ahead and hand over her, her daughter too. Like that, that doesn't exactly jive. Um, but you're right from a marketing standpoint, from everything else, it does seem like they're just, it's going to be sure. Yeah. I like, again, I get, I think we're both, you know, we understand where we're, we're each coming from. I think the fact that they, that she got injured and even though they were going on break, but they continued on the longer break to make sure to get her back tells you that she is top of the call sheet because they can only do so much without her. Like with the Harrison Ford thing, yeah, he's a crucial part of that movie, but he's not the lead. So they can probably shoot around it. But if she is the lead, there's only so much you can do without her there. And yeah, um, I think if so, like if this were DC and all this stuff happened, they'd have no problem being like, you know what? Let's move this movie. To, well, I say they wouldn't have a problem, but you know, in in if in a perfect world, they'd be like, you know what? Let's move this movie down um, to next year, retool it so that she isn't our lead, and go from there. But since it is Marvel, and since you know they have a schedule with these movies, it's part of you know it's, it's a con for them when things go wrong. They can't move too much because then it throws off the rest of the schedule. And these moves are already being made. Some might be done that you're now messing with. And then, again, continually with things, do these movies feed right into each other? If they don't, it's not a problem. But if they do, then they have to be in that same order. 
So it's just so many moving parts that I think they just have to grin and bear it. Do we get a full-fledged African funeral? <sighs> so looking at the trailer, it seems that way. I would hope, I'm still holding out hope that that while they honor and pay their respects to Chadwick as the child in this movie, I'm still holding out hope that they don't officially kill him so that it opens the possibility of him coming back, you know, with another actor. But it seems like a funeral. Um, and it could very well be a funeral. It could be, you know, the best of the both worlds where it is a funeral, but you find out something else that he's not dead or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It looks that way because it's very, very striking, uh, especially visually. Because if it is a funeral, everyone's wearing white. It's such a contrast to what we think about when we think about funerals with everybody wearing black. So I keep saying probably, but that's all I can say for right now. But if it is, I think it's going to they're trying to purposely turn imagery of it on its head and probably trying to reflect the, you know, all of the celebratory part of it and less the green. Right, right. Um, and it could also be the catalyst for your action if he is killed in action, because that would that would then set your chain of events in motion. Right. Um, speaking of your chain of events for that film, um, old homeboy says that Neymar is not the villain of the movie. Uh, now, Grant, no villain ever thinks they are the villain of the movie, but your thoughts are on his comments about not being the villain of the movie, because. If he's not the villain of the movie, the only other villain of the movie could potentially be colonialism again. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like taking jabs at colonialism. I mean, who doesn't? Especially, act- especially in a post Queen Elizabeth II world. <laughs> um, I mean, there is something to that 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 he could he could be the antagonist without being the villain. And that would kind of fit into what Namor is. Namor is very much, uh, He's um, a dick. he is very he is very antagonistic as a character, but not necessarily like what you would think of as a full fledged villain. Like I don't think this will be the only time we see Namor. I think when we see him again, he will be what we would consider a hero. A hero. So the comments of him not being the villain of this movie do stand. Um, the uh, the villain of the movie could be an idea like colonialism, where and the conflict between Wakanda and and Namor's nation has to do with that. And while they physically fight it out, the end is more of a confrontation of those ideas. Um, but yeah, I so because he's Namor, he said it. I I get it because again, Namor's never. He, he does some vile things, but he's more of an antagonist than a straight up villain. Now, I know a lot of nerds saw that and took it running because that's what they do. I don't think Dr. Doom is the villain of this movie. Will he be referenced? Maybe, but I think that's as far as it goes. So people need to keep their, you know, their thoughts in check on this one. Oh, I mean, those two do have history, uh, and certainly there's a lot. Those three, all three of them. Yeah, 
So, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. But again, I just think that you're, you're looking at, if you're not looking at him being Neymar being the straight up, you attacked my people. So I'm going to attack your people kind of deal. I think it's going to be about colonialism and, you know, also about protectionism to an extent, because like, uh, they make very clear in the trailer that like, once the Black Panther is gone, we hear the whispers. We know what you say. Now is the time to attack. Now it, they are weak. Their king is gone. Their protector is gone. And which would make sense that if you took Black Panther or T'Challa out of the picture, that other nations that now know you exist would see you as potentially right for an attack. And so, you know, if the if the Atlanteans or the Aztecs is uh, whatever kind of civilization you want to paint Neymar's people as, they've been waiting for a hot minute to get their revenge. Now would kind of be the moment. So, yeah, that uh, I do think that'll be a central part of the story. I think you know nature abhors a, vac- a vacuum. I think a lot of people are going to see Wakanda as a power vacuum. I think Neymar is going to be chief among them, even though his aspirations might not be to conquer for conquering sakes it might be conquering for uh what he thinks are noble reasons for his people all right chad so let's talk about she hulk smash she hulk smash daredevil daredevil smash she hulk and then she hulk (laughs) and and then and then she hulk smash tv yeah um so I think this is uh I, I said it after I watched it, uh that this is this should probably be most people's favorite episode of She Hulk for everybody that bitched and moaned about one, the lack of Daredevil, and two, that it was that the the show felt all over the place. I think this is the episode you sit down and show those people and be like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Um, it was awesome seeing Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. I like that they introduced him as Daredevil first. Uh, and not only as Daredevil for, first, but showed him as a competent lawyer because he pretty much wipes the floor with uh, with Jen in a matter of minutes before she even knows what happens. But then they show you his, you know, his endearing charm and and the the chemistry between those two started really showing up at the bar before we got to the, the superhero team up. And as customary for superhero team ups, you got to fight first. Um, and while Daredevil was impressive, again, he's fighting a Hulk. He lost and the, as he should have. And then you see the relationship pay off when she unmasks him and just like realizes, oh, I'm I'm the asshole on this one. And they go and fight uh, Jessica's incredibly ridiculous client, freaking Leapfrog. It is it's so dumb, and I can't believe they did it, but they they did it in all the right ways. But, yeah, the ending of the show, and I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago with, um, with the guy, uh, I'm going to say Jason, that took the pictures of her and how messed up that was. And we see just how messed up it is. It's they basically did like revenge porn on her. It's such a crucial and important moment of not only her life 
It's an intersection of her life and She-Hulk. It's Jen as the lawyer, even though she's there as She-Hulk. But it was a clear violation of Jen herself because it was the video of Jen. And it's not just for the world to see, but they made a point to show like her dad watching that. And, you know, patriarch and all that stuff. I know that, you know, the show has been banging on all that kind of stuff, but there is something to be said about a father having to watch his daughter inadvertently watch his daughter in revenge porn and can't do anything about it. And I can see like they if the they wanted a reason for Jen to lose control and they came up with a way that I think is in, um, how we've seen her through the whole show. They came up with a way that was incredibly smart and felt justified for her to lose it. But now we're back to the first episode where Bruce is like, when you lose control, they'll never see you the same. So how does Jen move from here? And they've created a compelling, uh, even they've created something even more compelling. If you were on the fence about She-Hope, uh, how is the, how, what's the resolution of all this? Uh, I think it was a great job. And again, this is probably the majority's favorite episode of the show. Well, I mean, my thing, my thing here is honestly, um, like I've come around on that. I don't think it is the leader. And one of the reasons I don't think it's the leader is because, um, I don't think they announced that in connection with new world order at D23, knowing the show is coming in. Like, the show is currently on the air. Because then you kind of spoil the surprise of the leader returning after all this time. I think that they are leaning very heavy on creepy old uh, Wakandan Spear tech dude, um, who, as you said, got burned again, got rejected again, and took out his his you know revenge on her my issue my only issue with that is all the pieces line up there but what does he need hulk blood for like that's the thing i it's, uh, i know you can say well what's the difference between hulk blood and a wakandan spear it's just something to collect but like the personal issues in peace with jen walters and she hulk and wanting she hulk and being rejected by she hulk and being rejected by jen walters and that driving him to a point where he hires, he's rich enough, he can hire people like the construction crew, like the, the wrecking crew. He can hire people like, oh boy, to, you know, dupe her and get her, get all this stuff on her. Uh, the hope blood is the only part of that, that equation that doesn't really work for me. Yeah. The, so the thing with the Marvel shows is that, you know, that on the previously on, they you can tell where the episode is going because of the things they show you. And they made a point to show um creepy date dude. And he shows up a couple times in this episode. One one time it really has nothing else like you could have taken that, that scene out of the episode and it doesn't change anything. The time that he calls her for like the date and he she just kind of blows him off. But I think they keep showing him for a reason. I do think he's connected to the the Hulk King. And we know that he was in present in the arena that night. Right. So, yeah. So just like you, the question is, what does why does he why would he want 
help blood outside of like, you know, having it to collect. But I think whoever wants her blood wants it for more than that. So it does put the leader thing in question, but I, I think we'll, I just can't see us not getting the leader in some form or fashion. We might not see him until a stinger, but I cannot not see the leader showing up at the end of this. But now it's like, and I do think the creepy kid is more or less probably the villain of the show. But why? That is the question, but we've got to still wait till Thursday to find out. And it was a very it was a very accelerated ending too, because the way that the show has just felt like kinda of easygoing and at a good pace and you're like it's why when she turns and like, Oh, the gala's tonight. Well wait. You you just got approval to make your dress by saving the dressmaker and getting back in his good graces like five minutes ago. Like <laughs> you know, can't believe we're already at the finale. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. Like those middle episodes just kind of flew by. Um, what did you make of making Daredevil do the walk of shame? I thought it was funny. And I thought it was funny because in the comics, Matt uh Matt is very fortunate in the lady category. So he's been with a lot of ladies. It's just a is a he likes the ladies. It's a thing with him. So they built they built up a relationship, a a chemistry between uh, Matt and Jennifer. So why not pay it off? And then the walk of shame is just it's funny. Again, the show does the show deals with, um, you know, stereotypes and negative stereotypes of women that aren't necessarily negative stereotypes of men. So we take one again, one of these stereotypes that is normally considered a negative for women. And you put it on the guy that everybody's been waiting to show up all show all season long. What are you going to do? All you can do is laugh. And, and I think that was the whole, the, the whole thing with that. All right, Chad, give us your review of werewolf by night. All right. So as you all know, I am a coward. And I don't normally do horror things. So the fact that I even watched it should tell you most of what you want to know. It is not, um, I wouldn't call it a straight horror. There are horror elements. There are definitely body horror elements. Um, it's in suspenseful moments. But overall, it was a very um, fun experience. It's not often I can come into Marvel properties and not know anything about stuff. I've heard of Werewolf by Night, but again, Werewolf, I'm out. I know nothing else about it. So it was fun seeing a different part of the the Marvel Universe that I don't know about in any facet. And it was just a a fun little adventure. Also, um, I'm going to spoil it because we're on this podcast and you should know by now. There are pictures out there. Man Thing is heavily involved in this in this. the special feature. I think that was by design. Um, he was greatly appreciated. I know man thing when I see him, I don't know what man thinks powers are, but who cares? He was in this show. It was fun. I had, I had fun with it. I can probably watch it again at some point. It might be like a Halloween thing going forward. But uh, if you like those kind of things and you can take it, not being overly horror, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, like my thing was that it was fun. It was, I, I enjoyed 
I enjoyed it in the same way that I enjoyed Moon Knight. Like, this is, like, a different corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It doesn't really have to connect to anything. Again, people, not everything has to lead to Doctor Doom or the Fantastic Four or anything else. Um, it was a lot of fun. And it was this dark corner, Midnight's, Moon, uh, Midnight Suns kind of corner of the universe that they're playing around with, with Blade and Moon Knight and, and you know, it's just, it was fun, and it was also entertaining for me to watch as a cinema nerd, a guy who's done a lot of composing work for some of the great directors of this generation, to take his hand at actually directing something. And, you know, I hope they do more of these one-off things and give more people an opportunity to kind of come into the sandbox and play with some characters and, and make something that they want. Right on. So. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I do want to see more of these kind of things. They have the, they have the space and the opportunity now. So it's just a matter of them doing it. Yeah, I mean Disney Disney Plus is always going to be one in content. Right on. All right, so that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. I am at the Mets Theory, and our producer is at Grant L Fletcher, and uh, we will be uh, we'll be here constantly uh to remind you of the greatness that is mark sanchez and all of his many many years thank you very much and have a pleasant evening i hope y'all couldn't hear any of that you know instead of doing uh you know instead of trying to pursue kevin feige for our 300th episode i think we should just have mark sanchez on to talk with us